Welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who's not afraid of a slide tackle. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Once again, I should yes and you. I will say yes and that was the case until I watched the game we're going to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) So we are here to talk about the epic, I'm going to call it epic, 1995 Copa America USA versus Argentina group stage game. Mm Mm-hmm. Lots of slide tackles, lots of rough AKA play. Thunderdome. This Thunder game was Thunderdome. Yeah, it was. What was the name of the uh, the small Uruguayan town where this was played? Oh, I forget. It's Paysandú. Paysandú. There we go. Yeah. Yes. AKA Thunderdome. Yeah. Yes. So the US wins three nil in a really mm. really scrappy performance. I want to say it's one of the best. It's maybe the pinnacle scrappy performance of the US men's national team. Yeah, I think that's probably fair because the other one you would maybe point to is the 2 0 win over Colombia that gets marred by tragedy off the field. Plus, there's an own goal in there. Uh, whereas this one, it's like it's not a comprehensive victory, even though it's 3 0 because Argentina do get chances. It's not like they're just completely stymied, but it is the United States essentially outworking, outfighting, outmuscling, and occasionally outtacticking and outtacticling <laughs> an Argentina squad. I want to set the scene, Taylor. I want to set the scene. Please. So it's the year after the World Cup, right? The US has hosted 94 World Cup, uh, made it to the round of 16, got knocked out by Brazil. All in all, respectable performance, right? It's a lot of the same group of players. It's the next summer. It's the Copa America down in Uruguay. The US beats Chile in their first game, loses to Bolivia in the second game, and then faces Argentina in the third game of the group stage, has to get a result against Argentina to hope to advance. They end up winning 3-0 and topping the group, Taylor Rockwell. And we all saw it coming. I mean, it was it was pretty clear that when the United States was drawn to that group with Argentina, we knew they were going to be top of the group. So no surprises. We're done here? Lots of surprises, um, <laughs> including, I want to set this in a little more. Here's, mm-hmm. here's a surprise. When the U.S. team went down there, they traveled yep. down to Paysandú in Uruguay. Um, they sort of had a bit of a handshake deal, as I understand it, with U.S. soccer about what their new uh, contracts would look like, essentially a CBA, right? Um, when they received the paperwork on the plane... It seemed to be not what was promised. Um, there was a very weird bonus structure where if you mm-hmm. sort of only had a few caps for the national team, you basically got no money for playing in this tournament. I think I like I, to think of it as an early draft of the U.S. women's U.S. women national team current contract. It's basically. not. It's not a dissimilar battle. Um, <laughs> I saw Marcelo Balboa saying that uh, five dollars per diem was was not enough. Um, and so when the team lands in Uruguay. Um, they basically say, this isn't good enough, we're not training and we're not playing until this is resolved. The US mm-hmm. team went on strike after landing in Uruguay before playing this tournament. They went on strike yeah. and they won, Taylor Rockwell. They, they won. Did. They did. It's interesting to hear the various stories about this, though, because I have definitely heard Eric Winalda, like say that he was the one who hung up the phone with US soccer. But I listened to that interview on Grant Wall's podcast today in which he said it was Tab Ramos you know who, what? who made that line. I think that's my fault. I think that's my ah, fault. I think I okay. misremembered and then told you that when they were negotiating over the phone and US soccer said, okay, if you guys aren't going to agree to this, we're just going to send the Olympic team down to play in the Copa America. And I misremembered it as Eric Winalda telling Grant Wall, uh, well, good luck with that and hanging up the phone. Turns out it was Tab Ramos who leaned over and said, 
good luck with that and hung up the phone. Yeah. All right. Well, then apologies to Eric Winalda, but Daryl and I are now feuding. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I um, I misremembered it. I misremembered <laughs> it. But this really was the players sort of really yeah. gathering together, staying strong, and eventually getting the contract that they wanted, which was every single member of the team gets paid the exact same amount, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And and it does feel like this could have been this massive moment of adversity. I mean, we've seen it happen with was it Ghana? No, no I forget. I think it was Ghana in the last World Cup where they like refused to pay uh, play until they were paid or until it was guaranteed they're going to be paid. And we've seen that have like kind of disastrous effects on uh, tournament campaigns. The United States, I believe, only conducted like very light jog training session before the first game against Chile, and this could have gone very south. But instead, it feels like this was sort of the rallying point where the whole team had this idea. I think Winaldo referred to it as a an I've got your back mentality. Yeah. And I think it starts here. Everybody backs each other. They all agree to do this. They end up kind of getting what they want. And now they've beaten the Federation. All they have left to do is play Copa America. <laughs> well, there are three possible outcomes, right? The first outcome is you really stick to your guns and you say, we're not going to play unless we get what we want. And the, the Federation doesn't budge and you actually don't play the tournament, right? That's one right. outcome. Second outcome is the Federation doesn't budge and you have to fold and then still play because you don't want to miss out on your chance to play in a Copa America. And that's demoralizing, right? That's demoralize, a demoralizing way to play. But the third outcome is you win. You stuck together and you got what you want and you go into the tournament feeling like an absolute unit of a team. So what I'm hearing from you, Daryl, to to continue with the analogy, is that you're saying that U.S. soccer has mistreated the U.S. women's national team for so long in order to make them winners? That's not... It's not not part of it. I'll guarantee that at least some percentage of the U.S. women's national team togetherness is all about being sort of... um, being like in lockstep and all being together and all being on the same page in that fight. I I was wondering if, if that was you pausing to edit the show or if that was you pausing to roll with what I said. Well done to you for the rolling. I meant what I said. I meant what I said. It, it really does. Go. It really does give you like a siege mentality, bringing the team together. And I would argue, in this three 0 win over Argentina, you can see that togetherness in the team. So let's talk about Absolutely. this team. It lines up in what I'm going to call a three five two. I'm going to call mm-hmm. it a three five two. It's Casey Keller in goal. We start with a back three of Alexi Lalas, Marcelo Balboa, and Paul Caligiuri. Your wing backs are Kobe Jones and Ernie Stewart, which is a little Obviously. a little weird for both of them, right? Um, I, I think uh, Winata again in uh, it was a Guardian interview this time. He said neither one of them were particularly thrilled about being asked to play that position, but they did it because they were part of the team. There we go. Your central midfield is Thomas Dooley, John Harks, and Frank Lopez, and then the Solid. two strikers were Eric Winata and Joe Max Moore. And That's I would solid. say watching this game that. It just kind of works, right? You've got two wingbacks who are, they both offer an attacking threat and they're willing to run up and down. They've both got a bit of pace about them. There's a lot of uh, basically high-end talent in central midfield, but also guys who are willing to fight for the ball. And then you've got two willing runners up front. It's a perfect mix to go up against um, a more talented opponent. It, it is indeed, and then I think you have the sort of unknown aspect of things, because it's 1995, I think Ariel Ortega, the Argent- Argentina midfielder, said, like, yes, we knew this team from 94, but we didn't really know these players at all. Yeah. And so you go up against a team with two wingbacks, you think like, oh, it's going to be like a 5-3-2, they're going to be ultra-defensive, I don't know who Stewart and Jones are, but they're really defensive. And then you essentially have two out-and-out attackers as your wingbacks, and you can kind of see how that causes Argentina problems when those two gentlemen get on the ball and go at attackers, or go at defenders rather i think they just kind of don't see that technical ability coming and then suddenly they get surprised here's the key to this game in my opinion the u.s Mm. is first to every second ball 
every second ball. Yeah, I, I, and this this goes to uh, another point like Winaldo was making. Basically, just that like we knew from the outset it was going to be a fight. He gets into a scrap with Simeone before the game even gets underway, and I think that that sort of motivates him, but motivates the whole team. That yeah, you're absolutely right. That if they're going to be first to the ball, even if they don't win that ball, then they're going to be first to the second ball and first to the third ball, yeah. and th- that fight never stops. And it also feels like there's almost like an organized improvisation to it that they all know. I, I I have my my primary responsibility and my secondary responsibility, but then also like my tertiary responsibility, which is to cover the space for the other player. And so they just constantly are filling in space and filling the gaps, and you have people dropping in and stepping out, and it's very fluid and very mercurial. But it also seems to be very frustrating for Argentina. Did you find this game hard to watch from a tactical? A thousand percent. Yes. It's partly yes. camera angles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Prime Sports is the network that was broadcasting it. Later brought up by the uh, Fox mm-hmm. Sports network. Um, yeah. It's Prime Sports, and it's very much like zoomed in on the ball so mm-hmm. you never get like a nice wide shot of exactly what the formation is mm-hmm. but it seems to be essentially the US just make sure we have a bunch of guys in the middle and, yeah. we, and it's and, like and it's a grainy VHS yeah that's yeah, true exactly. it's, and then it's grainy VHS the jerseys are dark it's kind of tough to see the numbers and then the hair, it's like the type of camera footage we had this with like the Richmond Kickers game we talked about a while ago where it's like you can't quite see the player you kind of know the general shape and outline and oh that looks like a mullet but aside from that you can't get many identifiable features the US also early on loses Marcelo Balboa which yes. was definitely not the plan mm-hmm. right no. So it, no. when it's still nil-nil, you lose arguably your best defender and uh, maybe the, the best defender in terms of bringing the ball out of the back. I did enjoy when he went down, the commentator saying like, well, at least it's not his knee. It's like, I don't know if that's the better way to take it here. <laughs> like he's definitely like holding his leg and in massive amounts of pain and gets up and is clearly walking with a lot of discomfort. You need all of the I leg. I mean, what's that? You need all of the leg. I guess you do. I guess, yeah, you can't have just bits and pieces. You got to have the whole thing. <laughs> So the U.S. has to make a change, right? Mike Burns comes in, um, and they he goes into the back three, and they sort of rearrange it a little bit. I think sometimes Kadajuri stays central, uh, replacing Balboa as the not really sweeper, but at least central central defender. This is the first time I'd ever seen Mike Burns play, and I was impressed. Yeah, I mean, not just for the the clearance off the line, I'm assuming, but yeah, he has some really good little moments of like good defensive plays, obviously good positioning, good tackles, but he has a few just like technical moments of like, oh, I didn't see that coming, where he like evades a tackle, drives yeah. forward, plays plays a smart pass forward. He 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 kind of brings a spark playing out of the back that I did not see coming. Were you um, surprised by how often U.S. players were able to? Um evade Argentinians in midfield like I kept seeing John Harks with a nice cut and would get away from people Thomas Dooley um, I never thought of as someone who um, would dribble past people but he definitely had a couple moves to just uh, make a bit of space for himself and then we have for the first goal Frank Klopas just dribbled straight down the middle to start the whole thing off Yeah, uh, it, it did feel like um, if you like are playing FIFA and you go for like the hard tackle, the hard sliding tackle every single time, eventually your opponent is going to be like, and wait for the tackle and sidestep, and now I will go straight at goal. That and it sense. did seem like as the game grew on, the U.S. was just sort of like, all right, here comes the bone crunching tackle, which I'm going to step to the left of, and he missed the tackle, and now I will continue to dribble. I think they got better with like reading when the aggressive tackle was coming in and avoiding it while still keeping the ball. 
And I'm going to double down on this and say, I think this really is the key to the game. The fact that the US was able to have this mindset where they scrap for everything, right? Anytime there's a loose ball, they go all in and try and win it. Anytime there's a ball into feet of someone they're marking, like Lalas is marking Batistuta and he'll just like go through the back of him um, and make sure to win the ball. But when yeah, the US, when, yeah, when the US had possession, it wasn't like a panicky bang it forward type thing. When it was Dooley or Harks or Klopas in the middle, they really did slow it down, take a touch, evade a wild Argentinian tackle and progress the ball forward so it's a this good mix of like intense almost wildness when they're tackling and then calm and composure for the most part when they had the ball and but i do think that common composure extends to practicality that then there were those moments where it's like oh they're trying to play it out like is this a guardiola-esque like they won't oh no he just hoofed it long like they will definitely go long if they're kind of concerned about the pressure they're coming under so it's it's the pragmatism that you need to be able to handle a superior opponent at least from a talent standpoint but even those long balls were sort of into the channel for Ronaldo or max Moore to chase mm-hmm. right they weren't aimless it at least made argentina turn turn around and run backwards and uh, yeah. sort of put in behind so we could chase after them yeah yeah so do you want to talk about that first goal or do you want to you want to do a little bit more backstory because we haven't really talked about argentina at all let's talk about argentina a little bit first sure yeah so there are a few different names that we can talk about, but I think the biggest one since he's there from the start of this game is Gabriel Batistuta. Gabby goal uh, in the game, leading goal scorer in Italy at the time, held to zero goals. <laughs> a very impressive performance by the United States because not a lot of defenders were capable of doing that. It seemed like mostly Alexi Lalas was um, following him around and just sort of mm-hmm. making it really hot. Balls in the air that sort of Batistuta would get to and Lalas would get to. They would just get there at the same time, and that was enough. Yeah, and you spotted that one to your credit. Uh, you, you you pointed out that it seemed like Lalas was marking him. I asked him, he said, uh, but basically I was playing in Italy at the time, so I had already faced and marked him uh, when he was playing with Fiorentina, so I kind of knew what to expect a little bit more. So I think Lalas did a good job of kind of shadowing uh, Batistuta, jumping ahead. The, his tackle on Batistuta kind of sets up that third goal. So I think that was maybe part of what they were trying to do is get some familiar, familiarity in there, Whew, easy for me to say, to balance out the strength of that attack. The other names that really stood out to me Names that I knew were Ayala, the defender, mm-hmm. the really important yep. defender, uh, number two, um, who actually gets beaten for, for the third goal. Um, and Marcelo Gallardo wearing the number mm-hmm. 10 shirt for Argentina. I think it's a young Marcelo Gallardo um, mm-hmm. because this isn't... Not Argen- yet a DP. It isn't, not yet a DP, not yet a coach. Um, mm-hmm. This isn't Argentina's first choice starting 11, right? They'd won their first no. two games. And I think they kind of thought, we'll pick like a half and half team. Uh, it'll be enough to get a result against the US. And they quickly found out that it was not yeah and like that this that's the only part of the kind of narrative of this game that i i don't necessarily enjoy or agree with was this idea that like oh it was disrespectful they were disrespecting us because we're the united states and we weren't that good it's like no like you guys did the same thing to poland in 2002 <laughs> like you thought you were through so you didn't play your strongest team and then you kind of were made to pay for it i think that's what teams do a lot and there's yeah. always that debate about are you going to get uh in trouble for it here argentina got in trouble for it it's how tournaments work right it's how yeah. tournaments work is you you need to rest up at some point and if you've got six points from the first two games that third group stage game is when you rest at least a couple players but that, I don't think it diminishes this result too much because it's still no, really really strong players and because the US is tuning up at half time Passarella the, the Argentine, Argentinian coach kind of panics and starts bringing on the big guns right Ariel Ortega comes off the bench and Diego Simeone who'd been getting into it with Ronaldo in the tunnel beforehand he comes off the bench but they can't turn it around either 
it's a weird prequel to the 98 World Cup for me. Obviously, it's a prequel in retrospect. But, like, just knowing that, like, that 98 was where I kind of fell in love with Batistuta and, like, kind of first became aware of how good he was. Same for Ariel Ortega. And then there's the Simeone incident with David Beckham. That always stands out. So you have these kind of three pivotal players, in my mind at least, for that 98 World Cup squad very much involved in this game as well. It, it, was, it was cool to see. And nobody kicked out at Diego Simeone and got a red card. So that's good. <laughs> All right, so before we talk about the U.S. goals, we're going to talk about the goals mm-hmm. by Klopas, uh, Lalas, and Eric Winolda, although Joe Maximoff, I think, wants a piece of it. Um, yep. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Taylor, you know mm-hmm. what VPN stands for, right? Uh, virtual Private Network. I couldn't think of a joke one on the fly. Well, at least you got it right. At least you got it right. You got Very that. private network. You've got very private network. It could also mm-hmm. be that, right? That's what I would go with if I was marketing it. So let's call it Virtual Very Private Network, VVPN, mm-hmm. ExpressVPN. Yeah. When you use ExpressVPN, um, you can unlock access to movies and TV shows around the world because you can hide your IP address and you can essentially tell the internet where you want it to think you're located. So what do you do? Do you like it like throws a sheet over your IP address so no one can see what it is? I mean, that would be an analogy if you want to describe <laughs> it that way. That is not literally how it works. It is not. It instead it makes it seem like you are in the country where you want to be streaming from or whatever you want to be watching that's available in that country. You can have an IP address that then makes it seem like you're there, so then you can. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all your devices, uh, your phones, your media consoles, your smart TVs, and more, so you can watch what you want on the go or on the big screen wherever you are. Also... It is nice and fast. I've used other VPNs where you get a bit of a lag or it gets things can get a bit pixely. With ExpressVPN, you really can stream um, high definition absolutely no problem. You will, once you've set it, you can set it and forget it. You will not have to think about the fact you're using a VPN once you get going. I mean, you're stealing lines from uh, Ron Popeil here, but I'll let it slide. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service, be it uh, Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, you name it, it works. And if you visit our special link right now, expressvpn.com slash soccer, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. So you can support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash soccer. Let's talk goals, Taylor. Let's Let's do it. Let's talk goals. Okay, Mm -hmm. so it's nice and early on in this game. Um, that the U.S. takes the lead. It is the 20th minute when Frank Klopas makes it 1-0. Um, there's a f- there are a few parts to this mm-hmm. goal, but it's essentially, in the end, an illustration of the U.S. being first to every second ball. Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. I would. I would. I mean, and it, but also I feel like being... Uh, clever here because it's it's some good runs and some smart runs. Lawless makes a run to the near post and then does the Julie Earth like loop around to try to be in the right spot if like the ball spills loose and sets himself up. And then it's Kobe Jones fighting for every single inch. Yep. Uh, he, he fights off Gabriel Scherr, then he goes into a challenge. He sort of wins that and the ball pops loose and that's why Klopas has that clean take. Uh, and so it's a great volley from Klopas. I think he said afterwards that he wasn't necessarily aiming for where the ball ended up going, <laughs> but he was just trying to keep it low and on frame but i think yeah you can just see in this moment that it's like a fight from start to finish on every little sequence opens up that tiny little opportunity that klopas is able to take yeah because jones like uh he doesn't win that cross it pops loose but he gets to the loose ball right then he tries to dribble laterally and he does get tackled but after mm-hmm. he's tackled it's klopas who is ready for that ball to pop up and he's on it before 
any uh, Alba Celeste shirt is is ready to make a tackle. Uh, and we talked we talked on the last episode of Soccer 101 about like why Kobe Jones seemed to have been targeted when he came on against Mexico in 2002 and why it seemed like he was just this like victim of constant abuse when he came on. And I think maybe I've just sort of forgotten the way Kobe Jones plays, but I think what we saw then is what we see here. He fights for everything. He takes people on. He does not stop. And I think if you're in a very physical game, maybe the U.S. just had or this game just hadn't ratcheted up to that level. But if you're in a really physical game against a person who just fights for for every single inch, it can bring out that kind of fight and that response from you. And I think against Mexico, it brought out a lot of physical violence, basically. In this game, I think he almost kind of backs some players off at times. It's where I think the second goal comes from, if we want to go there, unless you have more to say about the first goal. Let's go to that second goal. Cool. This is the goal um, scored by Alexi Lalas. Um, yeah, it is. It's a free kick. It starts with a free kick on the left because mm-hmm. I think someone, I think someone takes a swipe at uh, Ernie Stewart. The U.S. progresses up the sideline. Someone takes a swipe at Eric Winolda. So it's a free mm-hmm. kick to the U.S. Just moving it up like the NFL, basically, like, right? Moving, Ten yards at a time. Moving the chains. Um, it's Alexi Lalas who scores this. Lalas goes forward because it's a free kick, right? He's forward for yep. set pieces, set pieces, set pieces. Um, mm-hmm. Free kick is taken short. Winolda crosses, and I'm going to say Winolda is looking for the head of Alexi Lalas with this cross. You think so? I couldn't tell, because it, it does seem like it bounces perfectly to Kobe Jones, but the bounce is the key thing there. I doubt Winato would have been going for a bounce pass to Kobe Jones, so I think maybe you're right. I just wanted it to be a direct pass to Kobe Jones because it goes right to him. But yeah, head, it's aiming for Lalas' head it's makes a cross. more sense. It's an overhead <laughs> cross, and it's picked up by Kobe Jones on the right wing. And then we've heard Alex Lalas talk about this um, on our show, when he talked to, on the Total Sock show, when he talked about this game recently, and I've heard him talk about this thing from Kobe Jones before. When Jones gets gets sort of one-on-one with someone down the wing, he has that one move, right? That move where he leans towards the uh, the end line as if he's leaving the ball behind, but then drags the ball with him. And that's always just enough to open up enough space to cross. So Lalas knows that Jones is going to get across. across um, and so he runs to the near post and ends up doing like a, a weird back flick that I think was meant to flick it on for someone else, but instead goes inside the far post. I don't know. I hope I like to think that he was aiming for it, but I, and I and I think that maybe there's a chance he was just because of the fact that he really does seem to be entirely aware of what is happening in this moment. As you're talking about, it seems like he knows what Kobe Jones is going to do and what he likes to do. And and I say that because I was watching the space where that ball ends up going, and there are two other U.S. players. The blurriness, I wasn't quite sure who they were, but they both make runs and then sort of realize the ball's not coming yet and have to stop and back off. And as they back off, that's when Alexi Lalas goes, and I feel like he held his run knowing exactly when Kobe Jones was going to cut and then look for that direct ball in. So I'm hoping that if he knew that much, then he also knew if I just get a little touch to this, I might flick it on target. <laughs> Do you think it's about that? I mean, I'm pretty confident that it is about this this team just having so many reps together, essentially playing yes. as a club team throughout 93 and 94. Yeah, that probably helps. That you just don't have on, on any other national team, right? You just don't have that many games together where Lalas can see what Jones is going to do and where the ball is going to be. Yeah, I mean, it, it. yes, that makes a lot of sense that if you practice day in and day out and you're the defender who's used to having to defend, that little move, yeah. you probably get real familiar and you get real familiar with what he does right after that as well. So you get so familiar that a centre-back can have the instincts briefly of a centre-forward to make it 2-0 <laughs> to the US in the hey, 31st minute. His knee slide was pretty good. The it knee was the knee was slide of a, of a veteran goal scorer. It was a great celebration. Um, should we move on to the third goal? It's in the 58th mm-hmm. minute and it's Eric Winalda. I'm going to say this is the most this game goal. It's the goal that represents this game, or at least the US's performance in this game, uh, to the max, because there are four sliding challenges involved in just this one goal, including the assist and the goal itself. 
Yes, there are those, and then there is also a very technically well-hit and precise long ball into the feet of Eric Winalda that I feel was intentional. And so you get the physicality, the scrapping for every inch, but then also the ability to play technical when the situation requires. It all kind of comes together for this goal. So yeah, the U.S.'s halftime substitution um, was to bring on Tab Ramos for Mm -hmm. Frank Klopas. I don't know why. I don't know if Klopas maybe had taken a hit or was tired. I mean, he got knocked around a lot. It can't, it can't be for performance, right? Since he'd scored, no. uh, since he'd scored the very first goal. But I mean, Tab Ramos is a great replacement to bring off the bench, right? What, one was of Cl- the uh, most... was Klopas... Sorry, I just interrupted. Go ahead. What, what was your question? I was going to say, was Klopas on a yellow? Because that might have been the other element. Is that, that makes like, sense. he's probably going to get into some challenges as he's trying to like lock down midfield? So maybe there was just a fear that he picks up another one and suddenly the game turns on its I'm head. I'm pretty confident he was on a yellow. So it's a good decision by interim coach Steve Sampson mm-hmm. uh, to bring Tab Ramos on and just provide that little bit of class in midfield. And again, I think that's what this game is all about, right? It's about scrappy, 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 a touch of class, and then sort of the deadly instinct in front of goal. Yeah, but that but the lawless tackle, which would be definitely illegal these days. More on that in a little bit. Uh, but it's it's a great hard tackle. It's through Batistuta. He gets the ball. He gets the man. But again, it's the familiarity there. Thomas Dooley throwing in a challenge, but then it's Tab Ramos playing this ball in. It's Eric Winalda. That that. That ball to Joe Max Moore is, he says he overhits it, I think, but I found that to be an incredibly good little bit of skill. What did you think of that yeah, one? Yeah, people haven't seen this. I think, yeah, it's perfectly timed, right? Because Ronaldo um, has got, receives the ball at the top of the box. Uh, Joe Max Moore makes like a diagonal run in front of him into the box. And Ronaldo just puts a bit of disguise in it, I think, and it ends up being a flick with the outside of his foot, doesn't it, to... Uh, to, yeah. to play it through. It, I can see why he thinks it's overhit because it sends, in the end, Joe Max Moore is sent quite wide, right? And probably Ronaldo wanted to put him like square through on goal. Um, but Joe Max Moore sort of rescues it essentially by uh, putting in a great big sliding challenge that uh, he manages to beat Ayala to the ball and get a slow trickling shot at goal. Yeah, the, the commentators said basically the pressure from Joe Max Moore forces the Argentina defender into a bad back pass. Now what happens? Joe Max Moore just puts that pressure in, slides in. He definitely slide slide tackles the ball for a shot on target that then Eric Winalda converts. So it's either a slide tackle assist or a slide tackle would have been goal. But either way, it's like, again, hard work, but a little bit of the technical ability to then put that tackle on frame. Uh, well done by Joe Max Moore. And well done by Eric Winalda for just slide tackling mm. that thing into the back of the net. <laughs> So yes, sir. if you were counting, your four sliding challenges are Thomas Dooley to sort of yep. pop the ball loose from, I believe, Ortega. Um, mm-hmm. Lalas through the back of Gabriel Batistuta. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Then we've got the moment of class from Tab Ramos. Then we've got the great little pass from Eric Winalda. Then a sliding challenge from Joe Max Moore and a sliding finish uh, from Eric Winalda. 3-0 to the United States in the 58th minute. That is the goal that put the US top of the group. So the US is top right. of the group with a 3 0 lead. The situation is right now that if the US will finish top, they will go through and play Mexico in the quarterfinal, right? The set the runner up, which at this point is Argentina, has to play Brazil in the mm-hmm. quarter final. So now you have a final thirty minutes where Argentina knows okay, they're going to lose this game and it's going to be embarrassing because they're going to lose to the United States. But if they can score just one goal, then at least they go top and don't have, and they get to play Mexico in the quarterfinals, don't have to play Brazil in the quarterfinals. They can't get it done because the US defend like champs, even if that Mm -hmm. means clearing balls off the line. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's where, yeah, you have the head off the line. You have Casey Keller making some great saves. And then, like, doing the less heralded but equally important follow-up to the save when he hops up. We've talked about goalkeeper's core work in the past. But the ability to, like, hop up and then kill the angle on the rebound, it, it really does kind of break your spirit. And you can see that with Argentina. It becomes one of those FIFA games when you just cannot score. You hit the yeah. post. It's cleared off the line. It's just not your day. And and Keller has a, has a very good game, but it's just also the support he gets around him and some of the bailout from his teammates. I mean, it culminates in the clean sheet, and I think it's an incredibly impressive, impressive defensive performance as well as yet another great goalkeeping performance from Casey Keller. And just in case anyone was wondering, the U.S. does go through in first place. Mm-hmm. They tie Mexico 0-0 in the quarterfinal yeah, and then win on penalties and then lose mm-hmm. to Brazil in the semifinal lose to Colombia in the third place playoff to finish fourth at the Copa America in 1995. Not a bad achievement. Not at all. Not at all. And I did enjoy them talking about how, like, and it was a rematch of the 94 World Cup, and, yeah, we probably deserve to lose to Brazil one day. (laughs) (laughs) They they had no illusions about that one. (laughs) Um, Have you got anything else you want to say about what happened during this game before we move on to bigger picture stuff? Yeah, I do. Uh, one thing like about this game in general, so we've talked about the physicality a lot, and there were moments in this game when the referee sees that, t- like that Lala's tackle on Batistuta nowadays is at least a yellow card. Uh, and there were, and that was not single out Alexi, there were so many of those tackles that were from behind and very physical, and the ref just did not seem to care, which made me wonder, were the rules a little bit different? And the answer to that, Daryl Grove, is that yes, they were. Okay. Uh, it was not until March 1998 that IFAB amended Law 12. Here is the amendment. A tackle from behind, which endangers the safety of an opponent, must be sanctioned as serious foul play. Acts of serious foul play are punishable by a red card. Not until 1998 did they start really enforcing tackles from behind as being serious foul play. Blatter referred to it as the bane of the modern game. Referee instructors talked about how the brutality of the game was a problem, how using your trailing leg to take a player out was becoming more and more uh, widespread, and so they decided to crack down on it there, but maybe not so much in 1995 in the Copa America. I think the field conditions play into it as well. Well, but I do think the way the referees were instructed to officiate in that time period factors massively into the physicality that we sell. But just to be clear, perfectly legal in this game, in this time. Oh, yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. Just also not a game I would have wanted to play. <laughs> it was rough, right? It was rough. Yeah. Um, all right, I, I've got a, a bigger picture. I, I looked at the U.S.'s performance at the Copa America. Um, Mm -hmm. And what I realized is, okay, there haven't been many times, right? They went in 93, they went in 95, they went in 2007, um, and then there was the Copa America Centenario in 2016, right? This Copa America 95 is the only time the U.S. has traveled to a Copa America, because we hosted the Centenario, and sent its first choice squad, and we finished fourth. So in 93, did we send like the B team? Well, not quite the B team, but a lot of players apparently needed a rest. So it was not Ah. the first choice team. 2007 was very much not the US's uh, first choice Mm -hmm. team. There was like no Clint Dempsey, no Landon Donovan and so on. Um, And by the way, we did go 1-0 up against Argentina in the first game in the ninth minute and then lost Mm -hmm. 4-1. Yeah, that'll happen. That'll happen. (laughs) And then we've just basically been unable to make it work so we could send a full strength team to a Copa America ever since. I still think it's one of the great missed opportunities in American soccer because the two times we've been able to field a full strength team, we've finished fourth and in 2016, fourth again. Yes. And I think in 2016, maybe Argentina get their revenge a little bit. They certainly do. Yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, I think I think that is that is a thing that watching this, 
it is cool to see. It's cool to see the United States go to Uruguay and be sort of well-received for their hard work and their effort and their technical ability. Maradona comes into the locker room afterwards and says, like, I'm crying because you all played beautiful football, not because Argentina lost. I don't know if that's true. I hope it is. He means, but- he means just that one Tabramos pass. That's probably it. Uh, but it, it's just it, it's it's an interesting thing to see the United States competing in a country where we wouldn't usually be playing competitive football, short of a major tournament happening there that we're involved in, and that doesn't happen as often when it comes to the Copa America. And I really wish it did because it's it's a different it's a different style of football, but it's also just a different world that I think Americans don't get as exposed to when it comes to global soccer. Maybe one day, Taylor. Maybe one day we can get regular invites and appearances at the Copa America, and we can have more moments like this. I would enjoy that immensely. Oh, anything else to say on this game, Taylor Rockwell? No, just that it was it was fun to watch, even if it was slightly difficult to watch. I think if people were going to watch it, I would say embrace the physical and the sort of like don't what, try to watch from like a tactical. What are the adjustments happening? Just watch it from a free for all. Maybe try to count how many tackles happen after the ball is gone. <laughs> just uh, just see what see it for what it is. An enjoyable physical experience. Well, here's what I'll do in the show notes. I'll put the link to the full match video that we watched. But I would recommend maybe just watching um, another link I'll put, which is the the highlights with just the mm-hmm. goals. Because I think yeah. everything you need to know about this game is in the goals, right? But we had to watch that the full game true. to uh, to attain that knowledge. We certainly did. We did it so you don't have to. Exactly. <laughs> Same thing with uh, with United Passions, which Ryan and I did earlier today. Oh, yeah. If you would like, if you would like to listen to our other show, the Total Soccer Show, mm-hmm. you can find a review of United Passions, the FIFA movie, and all kinds of other great stuff over at the Total Soccer Show. That's right. This is being recorded March 23rd. In case you find this episode a year later, I just want to remind you, even then, do not watch United Passions. <laughs> All right, let's close this thing out. I've been Daryl Grove. I've been Taylor Rockwell. Thank you for listening to Soccer 101.